0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Springer Mountain Farms. Over 300 family farms raising birds in Georgia's Blue Ridge Mountains. Learn more at springermountainfarms.com.
2: Welcome. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network on tour. We are on location now in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm your host, uh, Katie Mosman-Wadler, and my co-host is here with me. I'm Kat Johnson. And we are here today at Stoke with um, Chef Chris Coleman. Welcome, Chris. Uh, So we are here at Marriott City Center, where you are the Director of Culinary Experience and we a sitting, fancy title. It is a very fancy title. <laughs> we're sitting right beside your gorgeous open kitchen, which is part of Stoke, which is next to a beautiful, huge bar. And this is all part of a number of programs that you're running inside of the Marriott. What else is happening here that we can't see right now?
1: Sure. So, um, yeah, I, I'm technically over food for the entire hotel. Um, so we have Stoke Restaurant. We have Stoke Bar. We have Coco and the director, which is our independent coffee shop. Um, Most Marriott's partner up with uh, Starbucks, but we want to do something different. Um, So we found a local bean roaster uh, right across the border in Fort Mill, South Carolina. Um, All of our food that we do in there is sourced locally. All of our retail is sourced locally. we also have the M Club, which is our concierge lounge. Um, we have catering, and we have a banquets division, um, which we try to source locally for up there as well. Um, so there's a lot of different food programs going on under this roof that, um, you know, are, are constantly running every day. Uh, but then we're also trying to pull this idea of local sourcing and everything into as well.
2: hmm So you're a fairly young chef to have this amazing, distinguished title. You had your first executive chef position when you were just 21. Right. Tell us about your first (laughs) food job.
1: Um, So my first uh, exec job was at McNench House Restaurant, which is um, just down the street from where we are here. Um, It's back on Church Street. It's in an old, restored uh, Victorian house. um, Tasting menus only dinner only, 25 seats. Um, And I kind of got that job. I got got a job there as a a kitchen assistant. And then the chef left three weeks uh, into the job um, to open up his own restaurant. And so the owner of the spot kind of took me under a wing and said, you know, like, we'll get through this together as we look for a new chef. Um, Because there's only three of us in the kitchen is tiny. Um, so I worked with Ellen. Um, she kind of trained me and she said, you know what, like you're doing a pretty good job. Let's just leave things where they are for now. And, and right around the same time I graduated from CPCC, they gave me the official title of executive chef. So I was 21 years old. Um, and that was, you know, kind of a big, a big deal. I guess it it still (laughs) is kind of a big deal, but, um, McNinch has a great reputation in Charlotte as this kind of home for southern hospitality and fine dining, kind of where they collide. Um, And I really got to figure out who I was there and grow as a chef. I was there for almost nine years. And, um, yeah, I just figured out kind of the direction that I wanted to take my food and the voice that I had as a a professional cook um, in Ellen's kitchen. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
2: When when did you first ever have that inkling of a feeling that you wanted to work in a kitchen?
1: So, uh, I got a job when I was 14 um, at a fish camp, which is a fried seafood restaurant. Um, And in the South, we call them fish camps because the. A long, long time ago, fishermen would, would, you know, bring in their catch from the, the river, set up a little uh, camp, a little tent, and then fry it up and, and serve it. Um, so when I was 14, I got a, a job at a fish camp called Captain's Galley in Huntersville, North Carolina, and um, really fell in love with the restaurant world there. Um, on Fridays and Saturday nights, they would have me expo, um, so I was watching the kitchen, putting together orders and uh and tickets and then just that whole kind of um symphony of movement and um it was just all very like organized and disorganized and chaotic but very you know orchestrated all at the same time and and to watch that happen every friday and saturday night for 350 covers a night um we would do there um it you know I I kind of I kind of caught the bug there and haven't ever shook it. So. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Do you think that um the fish camp kind of atmosphere influences your restaurants now?
1: Um I don't know that the atmosphere so much does, but the idea of um making the guests happy, um having fun while you're doing it definitely does. Um I mean the uh, the whole fish camp, you know, atmosphere and persona is just where families gather around the table and you usually pass a plate around of hush puppies and there's tartar sauce and cocktail sauce everywhere and um, you know that idea of just you're there to relax with your friends, your family and have a good time. That's definitely what we went for in Stoke. Because um, McNinch House was super refined and it's a date night only place and then um, my next stop after that was I opened up Asbury and that was a little less formal but still fine dining and then here is very wide open and and very informal Mm
2: -hmm. how do you train your staff to have fun on the job
1: i don't think you can train staff to have fun but (laughs) if you um make them feel comfortable uh to be themselves in the kitchen then they usually loosen up and it's fun for everybody um i'm not a yelling chef i don't scream or throw pots um that's, I don't feel like you get the best out of people when you do that, personally. Um, so I've never been that type of chef, um, which allows everyone to be a bit more relaxed and calm. And, you know, obviously there's standards that I hold everyone to. but um, And they know when they haven't met those standards. Um, How do they know? Well, so I'm like, you know, I'm like the dad in the kitchen. Like, I give them this, like, withering look, and <laughs> and they know. And that's, that's kind of... Um, you know, at at Asbury, I had one cook tell me uh, one time that our CDC there um, was mom and I was dad. And mom would get on you and kind of, like, yell, and dad would just be disappointed in you. And that, I, I was like, i kind of taking that as a compliment. Like, I, I would rather, you know, I'd rather for that kind of psychology. Because he was like, it's, it's way worse coming from, you know, from me than from the other guy. Because he was like, the other guy just yells and it rolls off my back. But, like... If I feel like I've disappointed you then I've really let you down and that's like he's like that's kinda of messed up psychology. And I was like, Well then it's working, so <laughs> <laughs> you
2: know <laughs> Yeah. Um so speaking of psychology Uh, You've done something really special in the place that we're sitting right now, where uh, this is, the restaurant is essentially an open kitchen in the hotel lobby, but it doesn't feel that way from where we're sitting. And how do you create a space like this that's going to appeal to the community, be different, um, and also have this like special contained feeling while being in the open as part of a chain hotel?
1: Yeah, it's um, the whole project was kind of centered around the kitchen. Um, and and that's, you know, both literally, I mean, obviously, we're sitting at a table that's, you know, pulled up to a, a kitchen. Um, but um, figuratively speaking, too. So Marriott was originally built as a food and beverage company. I mean, they... Um, started out as hot shops where they sold root beers and tamales in, in Washington, D.C., and then they rolled out the a line of, um, you know, burgers and root beers and that kind of stuff, and then they decided to get into the hotel business. Um, and then, you know, somewhere down the road, they, they decided that hotels was better than restaurants, so they phased that out, um, and with phasing that out, I think that their food and beverage pro- offering kind of suffered a little bit, too, so... Um, they really wanted to center this particular hotel around food and beverage. It was it plays a much bigger part than other, you know, chain Marriott's do. Um, so there's no walls between our kitchen and our dining room. It's wide open. You can see everything that the cooks are doing. Um, it is right in the heart of the house where you walk in the front door uh, to check in, and the first thing you see that um, sight line is the kitchen of Stoke. Um, and so it draws you in as a hotel guest. Um, and then what we're doing with our sourcing, um, with our um, PR and our advertising around Stoke, we're, we're branding it as an independent restaurant. Um, a lot of people don't even know it's inside of the Marriott, which um, isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's not a good thing when they're trying to find us. They have no <laughs> idea where we are, but um, it's not a bad thing. We. Um, they come in, they have no idea, like you just spoke to, that they're sitting inside of a hotel, mm-hmm. um, other than the fact that they pulled into the valet circle when they got here. Um, so it's very deliberate that the kitchen is front and center um, for this project.
3: So you opened in August of 2016, right? right? Um, how have you changed or adapted to you know what your guests want?
1: So... Um, I think we've built something here in Stoke that the guests have been extremely responsive to. Um, so it's more about the guests adapting to us than us adapting to the guests. (laughs) Um, now we, we do certainly offer things that the hotel, uh, guest expects. You know, we have a burger on pretty much all day long. Um, we, our offering, you know, at lunchtime, we have a very salad and sandwich heavy menu, um, which is kind of what that transient guest just wants to grab a a quick bite and and get out the door to their business meeting or whatever they're here for. Um, But as far as dinner service, we've we've said, um, and, and to breakfast and lunch to the same, you know, to an extent, we said, this is who we are. And, you know, you can hopefully like it or not like it. And that's fine, too. But we're at like a four point eight on Facebook, we're at like a four point eight on Yelp nice. and a four point six in Open Table. So I'm, they, they, I think, they, really like I think they like yeah. it. I think they like it. And we also wanted to, you know, open a restaurant that the local community would would want to come to too. It's not. It's here for the hotel guests, but um, on any given night, weekday, we're sixty percent local. On weekends, Fridays and Saturday nights, we're 80, 80% local. Um, only 20% of our business comes from hotel guests. Wow. Um, and we wanted, um, you know, we wanted a place where if you're checking in as a guest of Marriott and you pull up Yelp or Open Table to see where you want to eat that night, if, like, the restaurant in your hotel is, like, you know, in the top 10, then you just come right downstairs and grab a bite to eat, you know. Um, so, so far, we're succeeding
2: <laughs> so i'm I'm really surprised to hear that ratio that only twenty percent of the guests are are hotel guests. Are, is that something that you'd like to see go higher? I mean, I think it's also great that the community's coming in.
1: I think that it will go higher. just um, I think that we are starting to stabilize our numbers. Um, we're not the new the newest, shiniest toy in town anymore. Um, so some of that will start to dwindle and and that ratio. Will go up um, of hotel guests to, to local community, but um, I'm not. I don't necessarily want to see it go up. I don't. You know, as, as long as we're feeding people and making people happy, I don't really care if they're sleeping here with us or or not. Um, yeah,
3: is a restaurant format like like Stoke something that Marriott wants to replicate in other hotels?
1: The entire. Projects. The entire hotel, from top to bottom, is that beta concept where we're trying so many new things, and if they work here, then we'll roll them out. So certainly, the restaurant is is one of those. Um, I, I really hope what we're building in Stoke, if Marriott decides to replicate it, is um, this idea that you are representing a city. You're representing a your location. Um, a restaurant shouldn't be the same in um, Charlotte um, and Chicago and Des Moines and San Francisco. Like, those are all four vastly different spaces So or different places. So I'm very hopeful that if Stoke were to go forward into, you know, those other cities that they would represent Chicago and Des Moines and San Francisco. They would find a local chef to run it. They would source from local farms um, and really say... This is who we are. Um, if you're staying with us, you're going to get a, a true taste of what it's like to be you know, in this city.
2: So what's the 5,000-foot view of uh, what food in Charlotte is for someone who's never been here?
1: Um, food in Charlotte is um, growing up. It's evolving. Um, it's, there's certainly um, a really big uh, focus on, um, sustainable local sourcing. Um, I mean, that's, that's, there's a big focus on that across the country right now, but we're especially blessed in Charlotte to be in this really agri you know, agriculturally, agriculturally rich area. I mean, the South was built on agriculture. Um, just in the, in the counties surrounding Charlotte, there's like 400 registered farms. Um, so we have a lot of of places to pull from here. Um, we're close to the coast, so we can get super fresh seafood. Um, we're coast. We're close to the mountains, so we can get really awesome, cool foraged um, things when you know the health department lets us. Um, <laughs>
2: the struggle is real. The struggle is
1: real. But um, you know, I think that it's um, we're, we're as, as a city we're growing up. Um, so our food scene is growing up at the same time. Um, I don't know that there really is an established, you know, quote, Charlotte food, um, which I'm I'm honestly fine with. Um, that means everyone gets to bring their own voice to the table.
2: Uh, do you think there are any, like, weird foods in Charlotte?
1: Weird, weird, unique that, foods like in that Charlotte. Like, that I would come
2: here and be like, what is that?
1: Um, I don't know. I, I, I Nothing... Off the top of my head, <laughs> really. <laughs> I'm thinking um,
2: about, like, um, so I grew up in Maine, and in Maine we have, like, the Fluffernutter. Okay. Is the thing. So that's, like, that's a sandwich where you put, like, peanut butter and marshmallow fluff on Wonder Bread. Yeah. And that's, like, a, a classic thing. So I'm wondering, like, w- like um, kids kids might bring to school, like, lunch classic.
1: Um, I don't know. I don't... See, I, okay, I'm from Charlotte. Like, I was born and raised here, so... Mm-hmm. If I try to say something that is like just uniquely Charlotte, it probably isn't. Like it's probably, <laughs> they probably eat it somewhere else too. Uh-huh. Uh, my, you know, banana and mayonnaise sandwiches were like kind of a staple um, in my house growing up, um, which is a little strange. Yeah, in
3: Alabama, I just ate mayonnaise sandwiches. Yeah. No banana. No banana? <laughs> That's probably pretty weird. <laughs> That's um, pretty funny. I've never heard of such a thing. Oh, I yeah? No, maybe
2: yeah. I'll try it.
1: It's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, with the banana mayonnaise, you get like a tangy mayonnaise. And, you know, bananas are sweet and mm-hmm. kind of meaty in their own way. So... Sounds pretty good. Yeah. I could get behind that. It's pretty good.
2: <laughs> um, so talk about a few of the local farms that you're really excited to be working with. And uh, what's like in season right now. Yeah,
1: there's so many. We, um you know, we here at Stoke, uh, work with, uh, about 15 to 20 farms and then another 20 or so producers, um, from North Carolina, South Carolina, um, a little bit into Virginia, Georgia. Um, I love the relationships I have with Windcrest Organics here. Um, they're in Monroe, which is right outside of Charlotte. I love Newtown Farms. Um, I love what are uh, you getting Burton from Farms. some of these? So these are all produce um, that I'm talking about right now. And um, from Windcrest, we get the most beautiful little pea shoots and arugula and mizuna, um, little baby greens. Um, she picks wild garlic for us and wild leeks. Um, so Newtown, he has the most awesome little uh, beautiful baby carrots. Um, Sammy um, um, Koningsberg, he's also the um, godfather of local farming in Charlotte. He was the first farmer to sell directly to restaurants um, back in the early 90s, and he actually established Matthews Farmer's Market, which is just south of the city, southeast of the city. Um Burton Farms grows the most beautiful heirloom tomatoes. Um, right now, he's bringing in cucumbers and strawberries uh, and colored cauliflower, um, oranges and purples that are just strikingly you know, beautiful. Um, we just started working with a farm up the road um, called Fair Share Farm. They're near Winston-Salem. Um, they've been bringing us broccolini. Um, they're the only grower of that in the area that, I know, that I'm aware of. Um, They've also been bringing us beautiful uh, Lamborn pea tendrils with the flowers still attached um, and uh, some cool microgreens and stuff. Um, I mean, there's a lot. We work with Harmony Ridge Farms. We buy their duck, we buy um, their little baby beets. Like, they're a, a protein and produce farm. Um, you know, I mean, they. So inside of Stoke Restaurant, we have all these chalkboards up on the wall, and we've got probably 20 different farms listed. And um, what I like about sourcing locally is not only the food generally superior to what you get from the back of a box truck, but uh, it's also the relationships. I mean, we I know the people behind all these names. Um, I know their kids' names. I know how long they've been farming. I know you know, a lot about them. And that's, that's to me is the most special thing about buying from these people is, is developing that relationship.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and you do the sourcing for the entire hotel. So have any of these farms been surprised to be approached by you for the hotel? Do they do a lot of uh, food service so, distribution? Uh,
1: um, they all do food service. They all sell to restaurants. However, I think we probably are a lot of their, um, we're their biggest account for a lot of them. Um, You know, we're a 440-room hotel and um, this massive uh, restaurant bar that um, is constantly churning out dishes. Um, So I don't know that they've been surprised because I've worked with all of these farms um, over the last 10 years or so. Um, But, you know, a lot of them have been excited that they're selling to a Marriott because it means that... It's a little more financially stable for them. Um, you know, farming, as much as we like to glorify it, it's still a really, really hard job that they don't really make a ton of money. Um, so hopefully we're able to put a little bit more cash in their pockets, um, at least the ones that can keep up. That's That's been the hardest thing is that there's farms that didn't make our walls and didn't make our menu because they just, they're so small they can't keep up. Um like I you know there 's not much I can do with ten pounds of of leaks you know that that 's gone in a day so um, that's that 's been the hardest part is finding people that are willing to work with us and and sell a ton of stuff to us
2: yeah, and as far as uh, the the farms that can't keep up right now. Are you doing anything really long-range planning where you are thinking about your orders for 2018, 2019? Any farms planning ahead for big orders from you?
1: So I've I've worked with a few farms on um, what they are going to plant for us for the fall, for next spring. Um, For those small farms, I would love a way to bring them in um, to do uh, either specials inside of Stoke or we're working with, uh, we have this atrium space, um, in between our building and the, and the building next door that um, we're working on doing a small little farmer's market, like pop-up farmer's market out there. And I'm really hopeful that those small farms can come out and do, do that with us. Um, that gives them a little bit of extra cash um, and puts their name out there as well.
2: All right. Well, we need to take a quick break and have a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back in a moment.
1: This episode is brought to you by Springer Mountain Farms. Over 300 family farmers raising birds in Georgia's Blue Ridge Mountains. Many of them are second and even third generation.
0: They're committed to doing things the right way. Springer was one of the first poultry companies to forego the use of antibiotics, and they've embraced other humane practices too. In
1: fact, they were the first poultry company to earn the American Humane Association seal of approval. Learn more at springermountainfarms.com.
2: We are back. Once again, you're listening to Heritage Radio Network on tour in Charlotte, North Carolina with Chef Chris Coleman at Stoke. Welcome back, Chris. Thanks. Um, So uh, we just had a quick uh, shout-out from our sponsor, Springer Mountain Farms. I just want to say thank you to them for making it possible for us to come down here and uh, see you again and enjoy this delicious food. Ah. Uh, (laughs) You're kind of nodding along about Springer. Yeah.
1: No, I've I've been using Springer Mountain uh, for the past few years. Um, It's really, really, really good chicken. Um, And I love what they're kind of doing by bringing... um, this idea of an all-natural product um, to chefs like me who really do care about sourcing um, and serving, you know, really good clean food. Um, Yeah, it's a a great chicken.
3: So I want to talk a little bit more about the kitchen because we're sitting here and observing everything going on as we talk. And tell me a little bit more about, we have like the wood-burning oven in the back. Um, Talk a little bit more about what kind of food you're serving at Stoke.
1: So the idea um, of uh, Stoke is, you know, generations and generations ago, humans would gather around the fire uh, and, and cook together and eat together, um, and then we kind of lost that somewhere along the way where now we kind of look at our phones and we don't really talk to the people that we're eating with, and um, and it's kind of sad and heartbreaking. So... Uh, we wanted to recreate that while you know we 're bringing people around the kitchen, so um, you, you know in essence you 're kind of cooking along with us as you sit here and watch um, and you 're some you know some element of that fire touches almost every single plate in here if we're not if we 're not cooking it in the wood oven um, then we 're taking embers from the oven and you know infusing oil with it to make an aioli to serve on a fried oyster dish or uh we have a charcoal powder um that we sprinkle on some things as a garnish that is visually striking but also you can it tastes like you know charcoal it's made (laughs) it's this charcoal powder that we get from um, our friends over at savory spice shop that is made from ground up coconut shells um so that they burn i mean they burn it burn it burn it burn it and then grind it up and it's it's tasty. Um, kind of tastes like Old Bay, uh, but with like this smoky Old Bay, um, so we're doing food that is, um, rustic and simple, um, but with an eye for detail, um, with a, a, a mind to sourcing, um, and a lot of what I love to do is food that I love to eat, um, and it's takes on stuff. So, you know, like the barbecue poussin that I served you guys, it's barbecue chicken. Like it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's barbecue chicken. Um, and then the broccolini with the stracciatella, that's just broccoli and cheese, you know, which we all grew <laughs> up eating. Um, and then the rice grits with the egg and, and the white cheddar is uh, breakfast in a bowl. You know, it's it's rice grits and eggs. So um, we just like to take food that is simple, that is relatable. Um and dress it up just a little bit mm-hmm.
3: but it's simple food done impeccably yes and i did not get the broccoli and cheese thing until you said that yeah. and that's awesome yeah <laughs> it was so good um good. so because you are the director of culinary experience um i i would imagine you spend some time also thinking about or you spend more time thinking about front of house you know and that more than a, a, a typical chef or executive chef would so I am really interested by the way the dining room is set up, and in particular, you have a couple of special tables um, that seems kind of set up to be a chef's table experience. So, talk a little bit more about your thought process behind that.
1: So, one of the the biggest things that we have to um, remind our cooks of at all times is that they're, I mean, they're on display; they're they're kind of on performance all the time. So. Um, they are expected to get involved with the guests uh, and talk with the guests. Um, we have this one table, table one, that is basically an extension of the kitchen counter. I mean, it, the garmage is, you know, literally two feet from where the, the people are sitting. Um, so we encourage that garmage cook to, to talk to the people, to ask them where they're from, and send over some plates to them and stuff. Um, we have four tables in the restaurant that are the same countertop height as the kitchen so when you're sitting at those tables you you really do feel a little bit closer to the kitchen um, and those are kind of like our chef's tables um, I've been involved in front of house ever since the beginning of my career, I mean literally as a, a busboy at a fish camp but um, then at McNinch House we had a chef's table where we would do these elaborate 9 to 12 course tasting menus um, I like talking with people. I like, um, seeing, it's, it's super selfish. I like seeing the smiles on their faces when they, you know, enjoy something. Um, so, you know, it's a fun environment to be in. It's a strange environment to be in for most young cooks, but, um, at the end of the day, I mean, it makes them stronger, stronger cooks, stronger chefs. Mm -hmm.
2: And do a lot of people, because right when you walk in the door at the host stand, you are immediately almost in the kitchen. Do a lot of guests feel comfortable to go right up and ask what's going on?
1: Yeah, sometimes a little too comfortable. So, you know, we have to uh, kind of bring the cooks back in um, at at times (laughs) if they get a little too engaged in talking with a guest. Uh um, And, uh, you know... We kind of give withering looks to the guests who walk up and just start picking food off of. It happens. What? So a Garmage, you know, that's salad station for the most part. Um, he has all of his stuff that can be served room temperature um, out in bowls. So when people walk up, they will grab a dried cherry or. You know, no <laughs> a piece bold. of bacon, and I'm just like, <laughs> kind of like, uh, do you have a fly swatter? For <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need one. Exactly. Oh my
2: god. Yeah. Um, that is brazen.
1: A little bit. A <laughs> little bit.
2: Oh, okay. Well, I'm a little shaken from that answer. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to like imagine. There's my my favorite scene. Um, in is like at the end where there's like the old lady, like going around the grocery store, squishing like into everything. And I'm just picturing like all these hands (laughs) going in. Um, so last time we caught up, of course was at the Charleston wine and food festival Mm -hmm. back in March. Did you, what's your favorite thing that you learned or brought back from that? And, uh, were there any dishes that were influenced by your time at the festival that are on the menu here?
1: So it was my third or fourth year doing Charleston wine and food. Um, and I I love that whole festival and um, another shout out to Springer Springer's the one who's been taking me along down there the last last few years. Um, I I don't know if there are any that like this trip I I specifically brought back. Um, I've gone down to Charleston a lot over the past three months or so. I've been down I think three times over the past three months for different things for the wine and food festival. Um, I went and did this behind the scenes. Um, tour thing with a bunch of other Marriott chefs where we cooked with B.J. Dennis and um, we got into the kitchen with Jason Stanhope at Fig and um, we watched uh, Michael at um, Le Ferfale make make like, pasta from some sorghum, like local sorghum berries that he toasted and, and ground. Um, so I'm not... There's just this, this feeling when you go to that city that everything is about what you're going to eat, and if you're eating, you're thinking about your next meal, and that <laughs> you know, and relate. that um, that resonates with me profoundly because some from Charlotte, but I grew up—I I say I grew up in Mississippi because that's where my family uh, is from. Um, my mom's from Mississippi, um, even though we lived here. I would spend summers on my grandparents farm down there and we would be sitting around the breakfast table for like an hour and a half, 2 hours at a time and and at the end it's like all right, so what are we going to do for lunch? And then the same thing with lunch, you'd be like okay, so we're going to do this this afternoon and then we got to start dinner, like we got to get dinner going. So it was like you you were constantly thinking about food and and a lot of the time in between those meals were spent out on their fig trees or blueberry bushes, you know, picking what you were gonna have for dinner that night, um, or chasing the cows around the pasture, and you know, like, so this idea of really living and breathing food—that's what I get when I go to Charleston, uh, and it kind of reenergizes and refreshes all of that for me.
2: That's awesome. Yeah. That's really great to hear. We had such a great time. It was um, Heritage Radio has been at the festival for a couple of years in yeah. a row, but but first time for both me and Cat and. Yeah. We were just mind blown at it, so well put together, Yeah, Um, but yeah, it took me like a little while to recover from everything that we ate while we were there, Um, but
3: it's perks
2: of the job. Yeah. (laughs) You never stop eating in Charleston. No, you don't. No, it was nonstop. Um, What is the dish that you're most excited about that's on the menu now or that you're about to introduce?
1: Uh, my favorite thing on the menu right now is uh, probably the broccolini and stracciatella. It's super simple. It's like four ingredients, but it's so good. Uh, I'm also a big fan of the farro piccolo dish that we do here. It's uh, We get our farro from Anson Mills. Uh, we blanch it, and then we toast it um, so it's kind of nutty and crunchy. And then we toss it in a pesto made from wild garlic um, that we get from Windcrest Farms. Um, there's some pistachio and some cheese in that as well. So it's wow. this awesome, garlicky, herby, cheesy kind of farro dish. Um, I love the barbecue Busan. Um I love the seafood that we do get from Tim Griner. He's kind of our local fisherman guy. Um, and generally, we get the fish in, and I turn it over to the cooks and say, okay, create a dish. Like, we don't even have a fish dish on our menu, except this says fresh and wild, like daily kind of daily catch or something like that. I can't remember exactly how the phrasing is, but that's where I get to see the cooks kind of show off and, and to watch where most of our cooks have been with us since August. Like we've had very little turnover. Um, so to watch where they've come from, from August to now May is, is pretty exciting. Um, and the fish dishes really show show off who they are as people.
2: Wow! <laughs> Perfectly <Ta-da>! done, Sam. <laughs> um, what's your open kitchen? What's yeah. your vision for Stoke uh, in five years?
1: Um, I hope that Stoke in five years is still um, relevant uh, to the city, um, and I hope it's still relevant um, to the food world um, in this in this region. I hope that um, if I'm still here. You know, that we're still um, sourcing locally. We're still trying to, you know, just make us happy and make good food. Um, If I'm not here, then I hope whoever is running it at the time will not stray from that uh, mindset too far. Um, It's in keeping with that in beta and keeping with that kind of experimental vibe of this whole hotel. um, You know, there's a chance that in a couple of years, Stoke might completely switch gears and switch directions and that's you know I I understand and I fully um, you know accept that but I do hope that what we have established will carry on for the next 5 years 10 years 15 years
3: awesome well Chris we're going to wrap things up with one last thing we're going to ask you some rapid fire questions so
1: can I interject really quick of course okay because they brought out something that was for us and they put it on the table behind us (laughs)
3: <laughs> Food break. What is that? <laughs> what? Katie, describe what's being put down in front of us. Uh, well, I'm going to say that
2: that is the biggest donut I've ever seen in my entire life with a mountain of pastry cream. Yes. And nuts. Like, praline-y looking nuts. Oh, my god, It is... Bigger than my head, <laughs> for sure. Um, it's like it's bigger. It's actually bigger than the plates. It's substantially bigger yes. than the plates. <laughs> yes. Chris, what is
1: All this? All right. So what was kind of just dropped is the dish that, um, that we've kind of become known for at Stoke. Um, and this is our one-pound donut. That's only one pound? Um, <laughs> this only one pound? Yeah. Wild. This is so, so wild. Um, we make brioche dough in-house. Um, it's the basis of the donut. It's the basis of um, the brioche bun um, that we use on a few sandwiches. It's the basis of our pretzel brioche, which is our our dinner bread. Um, but it's one pound of that brioche uh, that's shaped into a donut, fried to order, um, dusted in sugar. The di- there's diplomat cream in the middle, which diplomat is equal parts pastry cream and chantilly. Um, so it's really... Custardy but light, Uh, and then over the top is Heath candy bar, crumbled. Thought it was
3: a candy bar. I didn't know which one. It's
1: my favorite candy. Really? Heath Heath candy. So, um, yeah. And going back to that idea that you know good food should be shared, we kind of didn't want to leave desserts out of that. (laughs) So we wanted to create like the biggest damn donut you've ever seen, and um, (laughs) it's been written up like. A bunch of different media organizations have like picked up on it and come out, send people out here to try the donut.
3: I think donuts are like is like maybe the most magical food. Yeah, and I I never imagined it could get better.
1: I don't disagree with that. <laughs> you know?
3: And this is this is like takes it to the a whole new level. Right. This is insane. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I have never <laughs> seen anything. We have to get through these rapid Whip, fires sure. so we, we can, can eat, eat this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we wait. gotta go really rapid now. Yeah. That'd be really rapid. Cat. Okay, yeah. do it. What was your last great bite?
1: Oh, um, anything that I had from Stagione, which is a restaurant here in Charlotte, Italian restaurant. Um, We were just there a couple weeks ago. Everything we had that night was amazing. What was one thing? Last bite. Last great bite. I'm sorry. I know it's supposed to be rapid. We'll just have to edit this out. (laughs) I'm thinking. Um, You know what? Okay, I have some strawberries at my house from Burton Farms. That these are the most brilliant little strawberries I've had in the last few years. They're just amazing. So I'll say the strawberries that I had this morning with my yogurt.
3: Okay, so nice. the, I think you knocked out the second question because it is what's in your fridge at home. So
1: strawberries. Um, <laughs> I have leftovers from a fish camp that we ate at last night. Like no lie. There's some
3: themes uh, running through I know, this. Right.
1: <laughs> um, uh, we keep a bottle of cheer wine in there pretty much all the time and a jar of Duke's mayonnaise. So uh,
3: You have to have Duke's. Yeah, and That's a awesome. lot
1: of wine. There's a lot of wine in my fridge at home, too.
3: Perfect. <laughs> what was your favorite childhood meal?
1: Um, my grandmother's chicken and dumplings, and I say that those are probably the reason that I'm a chef today. Um, it was just that idea of simplicity in a bowl. In Mississippi? In Mississippi.
3: <laughs> awesome. Um, what is your proudest piece of produce that you have in the restaurant right now?
1: Mm. That broccolini from Fair Share, because it's so unique and kind of rare in yeah. North Carolina anyway.
3: And last question, what is the the go-to restaurant family meal at Stoke?
1: The go-to restaurant family meal in Stoke is... Generally, like fried rice, like um, you're talking about family meal, like that we eat, right? It's cooked. Yeah. So yeah, like usually fried rice with scripts, yeah, you know, uh, like scraps and bits of whatever proteins we've been trimming down.
3: Yum. Yeah. <laughs> sounds really good.
1: You can eat it out of a cup too, which helps.
3: Yeah. Maybe we'll stay for a family meal. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, thank you so much
2: for being on air with us again with Heritage Radio Network and for having us here at Stoke and for this Huge donut. Uh,
1: thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was fun.
2: <laughs> um, come up and see us in Brooklyn soon. Will do. You've been listening to Heritage Radio Network on tour. Normally we broadcast from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Today we are in Charlotte, North Carolina at Stoke, Marriott City Center. And you can tune in to hear more at www.heritageradionetwork.org. We are a member supported nonprofit organization. So if you are a fan, please go to our site and click on the beating heart to donate.